Uh, it's wonderful to be here with you. This is my third time out here in Woodward in, over the last seven or eight years, and I love it more every time. I, I don't, I'm not just the comedian coming through town saying, it's going to be a great show, and I love your great audience. It's not that. I really do love being out here with you. I learn so much, and it's a, it's a real joy. And uh, it's a joy to take the opportunity to preach three different sermons from one of the most powerful and one of my favorite sections of scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. And so each are individual sermons. You don't have to, uh, the punchline isn't in the third one or something. They're all individual, but maybe God might bless you with some of the others as well. Um, today, I am going to be preaching from Matthew 6, so you might want to go ahead and turn there as I, as I introduce our idea today. You know, it seems um, nearly every other story on the news nowadays is about money. Um, I gather that uh, the recession that is the rest of America is in maybe hasn't hit as hard here for some of you, at least. Maybe for some it has. But at least out where I live, every story seems to be about money and how hard things are. Of course, that's nothing new, though, really, is it? Because money is a perennial topic, not only in the news, but also in the scriptures as well. We know that the Lord Jesus spoke about money a lot. He, in fact, tells lots of parables, gives lots of illustrations that warn us about the danger of money and its, and its misuse and the power over our souls. We meet rich, young rulers who prove that it's difficult, actually, for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. We hear about staggering promises about Jesus paying back in rewards hundredfold for those who give up houses and fields and talents, etc. And sometimes Jesus speaks directly about money, and sometimes he uses money as an illustration, as a, as a metaphor, we'd say, for spiritual matters. And that's the case today in our very rich passage from Matthew chapter 6. Um, many of us, I guess I never, I never put this on my ear, sorry. <laughs> I guess it was. Now you had to crank it up. Sorry about that, guys. Um, I think many of us are probably very familiar with Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Let your eyes glance there for a second. I think most of us know these verses, or maybe. Uh, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like I said, I think a lot of us are probably, we've heard these verses before and, and have maybe applied them to our lives in a lot of uh, real and significant ways. But I think that many of us probably haven't realized that these very powerful words from Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 to 21 are also not only an advice about how to invest our own money, right? I mean, this, I call this sermon investment advice. They're not only talking about don't just lay up treasures um, on earth, but lay them up in heaven, but they're actually also talking about a kind of spiritual, a heart investment that we can make wisely or foolishly. In fact, in the verses that lead up to these familiar verses, verses 1 to 18, we see, and we will see, that there's actually a huge, a much larger issue than the issue of money really going on. That Jesus pulls back the veil and reveals something, an area of our lives where we can make a very foolish spiritual investment and the consequences will be disastrous. So in in our brief time today, I do want to talk about this heart issue that Jesus addresses. But first, I just want to read these verses. And if you want to just listen, or if you want to follow along in your text, I'll be reading from the um, English Standard Version. But just listen. I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 1 to 21, and, and hear the word of the Lord this morning. Beware of practicing 
your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that they might be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that by their fasting they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So don't lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. There we've heard the text read. Let me just make a couple observations to get us running into what God is saying to us this morning. As I've mentioned already, These verses are part of this very famous part of the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount. And our passage is actually right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So it's really a central part of it. In fact, and if you turn back, just or look, let's glance your eyes over a page to chapter 5, verse 20. You'll see a really important verse where it says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I wish I had time to preach a whole sermon on that, but I don't. But I just want to say this Chapter 6 is part of that whole argument. This is part of what Jesus is saying about how our righteousness needs to actually be greater than the scribes or Pharisees, which is a pretty scary prospect. If you know anything about the Pharisees, they were very religious, very zealous people. So part of what this is, this whole argument of chapter 6 is part of Jesus telling us what he means by saying our righteousness needs to be surpassed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Looking And looking more particularly at our passage in chapter 6, did you notice when I was reading it that there were a bunch of repeated phrases? Did you notice that? Your father who sees in secret will reward in secret. I tell you the truth, they have their reward in full. Right? When you do this, don't be like the hypocrites. Did you notice that? That's repeated, that, those exact same phrases. If, just reading in your English Bible, you'll see they're repeated over and over through all three of the examples. In fact, did you notice that? That this passage is structured on three examples of a righteousness of resting that of the scribes and Pharisees. Look at the text. What's the first issue? Giving to the needy, what we call alms, praying, and then fasting. And in every one of those examples, and that's exactly what they are, they are examples that Jesus is giving. 
he uses the same phrases over and over so that we who are hearers, and most people would have heard this, not read it originally. Most people would have heard it. When we hear this, we can realize, huh, there's something going on here. And that leads to the big thing I want to start us off with today is to say that there would be great value in taking just a few of these verses, like 6, 1 to 4 or 6, 5 and following. Of course, to take the Lord's Prayer by itself and spend a lot of weeks preaching through that, there would be huge value in that. And I would recommend studying at that level. On the other hand, I want us to kind of step back and realize that these verses all together also have a big point that I think God wants to communicate to us today. And you get that clue by the fact that it's repeated, that there are all these examples. There's something bigger going on. We don't want to just narrow in too, too focused at this point. We want to hear the big message of what God is saying. Because underneath all three of these examples of giving to the needy, the Lord's Prayer, and fasting, there is a key heart issue. Do you see what it is? There is a key heart issue. Jesus is giving us spiritual heart investment advice here, both negative and positive. And what is it? We'll let your eyes rest again on verse 1, and then we'll look at verse 21. Beware of practicing your righteous before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then look on to verse 21, the very end of our passage, um, really 19 to 21. It, Don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Lay them up in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves not break and sin steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's the danger. Whenever you hear Jesus say, beware, we should pay attention. Here is the danger that you and I can actually be doing good things. Like giving to help others. Praying. Fasting. Most of us don't fast, but we realize that's a spiritual thing to do. We can be doing those things in such a way that we actually are not pleasing God. And how can that be? If we're doing them to be seen by men or seen by others rather than by God. And do you see, that's what verses 19 to 21 are talking about as well. Not laying up treasures with men, that is on earth, but laying them up with God, that is he who is in heaven. So my point is, and especially that verse 21, this treasure principle, is that whatever our hearts are attached to, that is our identity. That is who, whatever we treasure, that is who we are. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So my point, and I'm going somewhere, so hang with me here, is that this text is addressing a major heart issue. This is not a secondary issue in the Bible. This is talking about who you are as a person. And Jesus is giving some negative, some warning advice, and some positive advice. It's not just advice. It is a matter of our destiny. And what is it? And this is the main point I want to say today. Jesus is warning us against what I call the foolish investment in the POM. The foolish investment in the POM. What's the POM? The praise of men. The foolish investment in the praise of men. Now, according to maybe more current language and even how our text reads, reads, we might say the praise of others, but I just thought poo was just not a, that just wasn't going to work as a metaphor. I mean, I, I would never recover from the sermon if I said, beware of the praise of poo. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's lost then. So scratch that from the record and we'll go with the praise of men. But what we mean by that is, of course, the praise of others. What does this mean? 
It means the ever-present temptation facing every one of us, no matter what your occupation or level in life of any sense, is that we are all motivated so much by valuing the opinion of what others think of us, living and even longing for the praise of men, the affirmation of other people, the always enticing temptation to find our treasure in what other people think of us. let, Let that sink in. Is that true of you? It is, whether you're aware of it or not. And why is that wrong? After all, it's, isn't it natural and okay to desire affirmation? Of course it is. And to know that we're loved by at least someone and to, and to be affirmed and to actually in some sense care about what others think. Absolutely it is. I mean, no one here today came in dressed like Bozo the Clown or in a swimming suit, right? Probably because you care a little bit about what others think about you, right? So it serves an important function that we care a little bit about what other people think of us. Right? It also matters that other people affirm us, absolutely. But as with everything in this world, in this broken world, and in our sinful hearts, we can take something that is good and natural, caring about what other people think, and needing affirmation, and totally pervert and distort it so that it becomes our treasure. And that's exactly what this text is talking about. Do you see it? This text is saying, beware that you do things so that you get the praise of men. So often we are wrongly motivated in our hearts uh, to get this really addictive, drug-addictive kind of hunger for people to give us affirmation. And again, it becomes a deadly problem when, again, it becomes our heart's treasure rather than doing it to please our Father in heaven. And notice the most shocking thing about this text, that this praise of men addiction that you and I are all addicted to can even manifest itself in the area of religion and and faith and spiritual practice. It's so pervasive in our hearts that it it not only affects just our general lives, we can even twist and turn and mess up even good spiritual things like praying and fasting and almsgiving because there is such a power in this drug of the praise of men. You see, it's good and right for us to pause and consider our own hearts in ways that you and I, in in fact, might be seeking the praise of men that we may not have considered. For some of us this morning, little hints we drop in conversations about good things we've done. I often half-jokingly make sure my wife notices when I've done the dishes of the laundry by saying, you know, it's kind of a joke. And Is it okay that I did the dishes? Right? It's not enough for me just to do them. I need, at some poor level in my heart, I need to make sure that she did do it. I did it 15 minutes ago. Truth be told, I said to Brother Jason, I hope some people were blessed from your service the last hour. You know what? I do hope that's true, but I was hoping he would affirm me is what I was really looking for. I was hoping he, and he didn't, he said it sucked. <laughs> Just kidding. No, it was good. I don't, I don't know what he said. So that's exactly the medicine I needed. No, but sorry, is that a bad word? I'm not. Scratch that from the tape. Okay. But I'm looking for praise or trying to be the life of every conversation by telling the funniest stories or the cleverest quips. Or maybe little questions we might ask our spouse or someone about how we look or, or 
how we behave that are, that are really not really questions, again. They're hooking for praise. Or ways we posture ourselves in conversations at work that are really designed to make sure that people affirm us. With people below us in societal stature, we often uh, do this in a different way. People above us, we do it in one way. But in every way, we're wanting people to affirm us. Some of us seek this affirmation with proud confidence. Some of us are, have a lot of bravado, and we want people to follow us, and so we act strongly, and we are hoping people will say, you're awesome. Others of us do it with a false humility. We put ourselves under so that people will lift us up, right? In all these things, in all of our hearts, there is this drug addiction. That's the only way to describe it. Longing for people to affirm us. And Jesus gives, again, three specific examples of how we can do this from our text. We can do it when we're giving to others. We can do it in such a way that others make sure they see how generous we are. We know not to say, you know, hey, I gave all this money, although we might accidentally mention, oh, I happen to give this guy money or whatever it is. And in fact, one of the gauges in our hearts about whether we are really seeking the praise of others versus doing it to please God is if we ever feel offended that we don't feel like the recipient of our gift was thankful enough. I think husbands and wives might occasionally do this towards each other. That if we feel in our hearts, you should pay attention to your emotions because they reveal things going on in your heart. If you feel hurt that you weren't appreciated enough for something you did, that's a sign. There's other things going on there, but it's one of the signs that you are actually hooking for praise, that that's part of your motive. We all have mixed motives, right? None of us are perfect, but it's one of the signs that maybe we wanted a little bit of some payback for doing that thing, right? Or in prayer, you know, again, the Lord's Prayer, we could spend a lot of time on that. We won't be able to today, but it is possible to pray in such a way that we're not really praying to God. (laughs) Have you noticed this? It blows me away that we can actually have prayer meetings where everybody's just talking to each other. We just put Father in front of it or something. Prayer, Jesus says, should be directed toward God in a simple way. We're not instructing each other in prayer, right? We are just praying to God. He sees our hearts. He cares about our hearts. We should pray in a pretty simple way. Doesn't mean you can't have long prayers, but it just... just means that we've got to be aware that even prayer can become this way for us to our, show how articulate and how theological we are. And we may not even be aware of, the, of, the, of our hearts doing this, but I'm trying to pull back the veil for you and for me and say, this is actually motivating a lot of what we do. This desire, this craving to be affirmed by men. In fact, in this sense, it actually can be really helpful to pray with written prayers of, of saints of old. Because those can actually help you learn to pray in a way that is really directed to God and not just conversing with each other. Or in fasting. If you and I are making some sacrifice for spiritual devotion, some kind of fast, etc., boy, it's just it's so easy again to sort of drop hints or hope that someone notices. And that's exactly what Jesus is addressing here. He's saying, don't let anyone notice that you're doing this. This is to please God. But these are but three examples. This is not exhaustive. Jesus is just giving examples of this issue. 
And here's the question. Why is this such a foolish investment? Why is it bad? After all, you're doing good things. Why is it bad to be doing things for the praise of men? Well, here's why. Because living for the praise of men is a fool's gold. Because when we live for the praise of men, we are necessarily not living for the praise from, that comes from God. It's an, it's an either or. There is no middle ground here. You are either living to please men or you're living to please God. Jesus is very clear. You cannot do both. This is what he's going to say in the verses that follow beyond our text. You cannot serve God and man. You cannot be a double-souled person. Right? You are either living so that people will affirm you or you are living so that you might receive the praise from God. You cannot serve two masters. And again, the desire for affirmation itself is not wrong. The need and desire to be loved and even to be honored, those things are all fine. Nothing absolutely wrong necessarily with having your name be put on a building if you gave $10 million. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the heart. We're not just talking about behaviors. We're talking about where is your heart. You are either doing things out of a pleasing pleasing toward God and praise God and you're giving to others. That's beautiful. But often our hearts are not doing it for that reason is the point. And you see, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you and I live, live hungering and seeking after the praise of others, God says what Jesus says over and over again, you have your reward in full. That's it. You have earthly treasures, not heavenly ones. And you know, living for the praise of men is also foolish, not only because we can't be double soul, but because it never lasts. Right? You do not have to live very long to realize that the praise of men, the praise of others, is fleeting and fickle and untrustworthy. Whether it's your five minutes of fame that flashes by and then is gone, like the onslaught of the next bit of the news cycle, or the fall of the reputation of the mighty ones, or the fact that, if you consider this, most of the famous people in our generation right now, no one will have ever heard of in 100 years. The famous people, right? Even the praise of men is completely fleeting. It is not trustworthy. He, what I, one of the things I always tell myself is that a, a version of he who lives by the sword must be willing to die by the sword. See, in my job, I'm standing in front of people talking all the time, right? And it's so tempting when a student comes up and says, wow, that was a great lecture, that was a great sermon, whatever, to begin to trust in that. Right? Because it feels so good and that scratches that itch and that's just a little bit of drug to, that's feeding what I'm, this addiction I'm trying to wean myself off of already. And yet I have to tell myself, if you're going to find life in that, then you have to also be able to take the criticism when the person comes up and says, I didn't get anything out of that lecture or that sermon, which doesn't happen in churches. You guys are all nice. But seminary students sometimes say that. Right? So there's sometimes, not, not usually, but sometimes they do. If you're willing to live by the sword, you've got to die by the sword. That is, if I'm going to live by the opinion and praise of others, I need to be willing to die by it as well. And I don't want to, because that is a fool's errand. It's fool's gold. And this is why Jesus says, don't be foolish. Don't lay up treasures on earth, because it is fleeting. It never lasts. Moth and rust destroy every kind of life you might get from the praise of men. Do you see? It never lasts. You know, one of the, let me challenge you with this idea. One of the surest tests, again, that we might be living for the praise of men is, again, how we handle criticism 
from others. If we're defensive, if we're quick to self-justify, if our ire comes up when we feel like somebody's done something wrong to us, that shows that we value our opinion of ourselves far too highly and the opinions of others far too highly. When we are motivated in our hearts by the desire to be somebody important, when our hearts are trying to find life in our power and our position and our wealth and that we're somebody to other people, then when criticism appears, (laughs) it is hard to take because it cuts to the core of our treasure, what we're treasuring, our identity. So let me bring this home with, if that's the negative thing, that doesn't sound very encouraging this morning, that it's true of all of us that we are craving the praise of men. What in the world does Jesus offer as sound investment advice? He's saying, you know, that letter you got from Nigeria that says, my father's the king of Nigeria. If you just send me $10,000, I can give you, make you a million. Just as we know, I hope, you realize that that's not a sound investment. What is the sound investment? What is the way to be? Well, from our text, I think we see a sound investment, and that is that instead of treasuring the praise of others, the praise of men, we must value and treasure the opinion of God and his gospel of God's grace toward us. Let me repeat that, and hopefully this begin to sink in as I explain it. We, instead of valuing the praise of men, we need to change our portfolio and begin to invest everything in what God's view of us is and his daily acceptance of us in Christ. I mean by that that we have got to get in the habit of evaluating our own spiritual portfolios being honest with ourselves about what habits we engage in, that we try to seek the praise of others in our marriages and ministries and the opinion of others. And we need to repent of that and in turning ourselves back to God to say this gospel message that in Christ I am beloved. Do you see? The only way that you and I can get broken free from this addiction of the praise of men, is if there is something greater, there is someone who accepts us. There is someone who knows your heart and says to you, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And the scriptures teach that if you are in Christ, if you are in him by faith, you are born again into him, then to you it is said just what God said at Jesus' baptism, This, behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see, the only way you can get free from that addiction to seeking the praise of others because your heart is longing for someone to say, I am actually worth something. I am actually loved. Everything in our lives, everything in our lives since the fall is a craving to know that someone actually knows us and loves us and that we're actually okay. And we have all kinds of ways that we cover that up. All kinds of success and all kinds of posturing of ourselves. All kinds of ways that we project a false self so that people will say, yeah, you're okay. But deep in our hearts and especially in that moments of failure, when we see that we have blown it and there is no pretense anymore for ourselves, there's no posturing, we need someone to say, I know you and you are loved. 
And the only one that can do that, and the only place that can be found, is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who says to you, you are now my beloved child. That acceptance, that reorienting your portfolio and your heart towards saying, God actually accepts me, is the only way you can begin to break free from this addiction to the praise of men. It can't be beaten any other way. I mentioned before some of my own struggle. For me, as a professor, again, I spend my life standing in front of people, preaching some at our church and also teaching all the time. I have found I can't read my student evaluations. It's really hard. My wife reads them, right? My bosses read them, and they tell me I'm doing okay. But I have found I cannot read them because I am so scared that somebody's going to criticize me. And why is that? It's because I am still seeking to find my life, my identity in something other than God's acceptance of me. What is it in your life? What is it that you are striving after? Money? Is it prestige, power, control over your wife or children or in society? There's something, because we are all sinful and broken, we are all the same, that is motivating you to find that life. What is it that gives you life? What is it that you feel like, this is my identity? And I want to say to you, whatever it is, it will eventually fail you. And when it does... And hopefully before then, you can begin to see that the only place you can find your very identity is in God saying, you are my son and my daughter. And once you do that, you see, then there is a freedom. There is a freedom to love others, to pray, to fast, to give alms, not seeking the praise of others, but out of a heart of worship. And that is the gospel. Not that you have to do these things to get to God, but that he has said to you, you are mine and therefore you are free to love and be loved. See, all that we do so much is driven by this addictive hunger that we are cutting ourselves off by that hunger from the very gospel that we need. And so here is the gospel of grace this morning is that those who invest in God's view of you through Christ versus the praise of men will never be disappointed. It is a stock market that keeps going up. There is never a recession, never a downturn, never a failed business. But those who invest in God's opinion of them, who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, you will never be disappointed in God. So whatever it is that is driving your identity today, whatever it is that makes you be able to put your head down at night, right? Do you know that? Feel guilt about the way you treated your spouse, the way you treated your kids, some hanging guilt. Maybe there's someone here this morning who has a guilt about something that no one else knows about. How do you put yourself down to sleep at night without going crazy? Well, we do it with all kinds of projections, all kinds of things we try to tell ourselves, but all of those will eventually fail. The only investment that will solve that problem and relieve that guilt 
that we all feel and give you true identity is the fact that God's smiling father face says to you, I know you and I love you. You are accepted in the beloved. If you get that, if you get that, you will be transformed. So to close today, I'm not going to tell you to do anything. Good behavior is the outflow of a good heart. It's not something that we produce on our own. What I'm going to say to you is come, all you who are thirsty, those who are longing for life, and come to the waters, you who have no money. As Isaiah 55 says, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why, Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, why spend money on what is not bread, the praise of men? Why labor for what does not satisfy the praise of men? Listen to me, God says. Listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest affair. Our God, we thank you for the freedom of your gospel. That all these foolish things we do, God, you know us. You know all the things that nobody else knows about our hearts. Those little secret thoughts we have of of lusts and anxiety and self-promotion. You know all those and then you know all the ones that we aren't even aware of ourselves because we're so deceived. Oh God, we thank you that your gospel breaks in and frees us. God, we want that freedom. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that some who especially are burdened and feeling a lot of guilt today, that you would break free And let them taste and see that you are good. And see your Father face smiling upon them. And free them, God, to new life in Christ. All of us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.